On this episode of This Week in Linux, I'm sick. But I'm making the show anyway because I'm passionate about the Linux community and I'm dedicated to bringing you your weekly source for Linux news. But if I seem a bit off this episode, now you know why. But anyway, on the show this week, we check out some new releases from Wine, GNU Nano, Puppy Linux, Gen 2, Epiphany, and more. We'll also take a quick uh, look at the beta release for Ubuntu 1904 and a special beta release for the Ubuntu Bate team. We got some app news from Flatpaks, Snaps, and some utilities like MailNag and SMenu. Later in the show, we'll do a follow-up to the EU Copyright Directive news we covered last week, which is not good news, but we will close out the show with some fun news about Linux gaming. And all that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNU's. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. You can get started on DigitalOcean for two months for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. You can use that $100 credit to try out a bunch of their small droplets or some of their big beast droplets. And you, you can even try it out one with their 16 gig RAM, six virtual CPUs droplet that has t- six terabytes of transfer. Again, you can get started with DigitalOcean with that $100 free credit by going to do.co slash tux. That's do.co slash tux. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up first in the show is GNU Nano 4.0 has been released. Uh, GNU Nano is the command line text editor that has been is very popular because it's basically around, it's on like every distro, not all of them, but pretty much all distros as a way to easily edit uh, config files in your t- uh, terminal application. So it is very popular, There's one, and it's also pretty much the one of the easiest to use because it has not very many features but it does get the job done in a lot of cases but this particular release is very exciting because they fixed some long-standing bugs that a lot of people didn't like uh, for example the overlong like overwrapped lines are no longer automatically hard wrapped so that if you copy and paste content from one or the other it won't hard wrap the the content so it won't uh, it'll it'll look wrapped but it won't hard wrap it so you can copy and paste it and it'll be fine uh, they're also fixing uh, another thing is uh, the new line character is no longer automatically added, which kind of creates some issues with certain scripts if you add uh, modifications to uh, certain pieces of the a config file or a certain script. Adding a new line could mess up the configuration depending on what it might be. So it's good that they have removed that auto- that automatic action. Uh, they've also improved some smooth scrolling as that has now become the default, so that you every time you scroll, it's one line at a time, which makes it a lot more smooth. Uh, there's new options for switching, uh, turning features on and off, which is really cool. They've also added a, a number of uh, justifications can be uh, undone, like all other operations, which is nice. And uh, they've also done some things where the Alt-Up and Alt-Down command, or shortcuts, now do a line-wise scroll instead of a Find Next scroll. So that is very cool. That makes it a lot easier to use and a lot more convenient. So overall, it's great to see that they're improving 
uh, GNU Nano because it's kind of like this, a, a standard staple at this point. Uh, it's, it's not available in every distro, but most. And um, it's and it's it used to have like a very long timeline of being developed, um, where it took a long long period of time between each release. But they've actually been like picking up release quite a bit right lately for the past couple of years with Nano. So that's really cool to see. So it's really great to see them improving upon the experience and enhancing the text editor to be more robust and at the same time more user friendly. So that's very cool. If you'd like to learn more about this particular release, I have a link to GNU Nano 4.0 in the show notes. Up next in the show, version 4.5 of Wine has been released, and support for Vulkan 1.1 is now available as it is all the, its various enablement patches have been included upstream. Previously, the, the, this Vulkan 1.1 support was carried by the Valve, Steamplay, and Proton patches, but now they're in the upstream version of Wine, which is really cool because it shows the collaboration between the Wine project, the Proton project, and all that. Uh, they are they're very interconnected anyway, but it's really cool to see like the 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 progress that they're being is being made with it. Uh, and we're also going to talk about Steam Play and Proton later in the show, you know. So stick around for that. Uh, but better support for kernel objects and device drivers has been is also available in Wine. Uh, more Media Foundation APIs have been implemented. Support for SVG elements within MS HTML has been added, and a total of 30 known bug fixes are in this latest release, affecting Sematic, WinCC, SolidWorks 2016. Uh, some games like League of Legends, The Sims, Settlers 3, and Star Citizen, and many more. So you can find more, learn more about this latest release at the winehq.org website, or I'll have a link in the show notes below. Ubuntu has announced the latest beta release of 19.04 of Ubuntu. This version is the next version that's coming out within a, within a month or so, uh, actually less than a month. And it will be um, a lot of cool new features that are coming in. We're not going to cover like everything in depth right now because I'll go more in depth in a future episode when Ubuntu 19.04 is officially released. And I'll break down what's new with it and the various Ubuntu flavors as well at that time. But for now, we're going to talk about like a quick overview of what's coming in this version. So first of all, Gnome Shell 3.32 is coming. And that's really cool because it was just released uh, just a couple weeks ago. And so they've already got it included. And this 3.32 brings a lot of performance enhancements and, and all that stuff. So it's great that they're including it. Uh, they're also going to be uh, including the latest 5.0 kernel for Linux kernel. And that will uh, provide a lot of improvements to the hardware support for like the Radeon 7 from AMD and a lot of other stuff like that. As well as the Mesa 19.0 uh, drivers will be available in this latest version of Ubuntu 19.04. Now, all of these three different topics we've actually discussed previ on previous episodes. Uh, the GNOME 3.32 and the Mesa 19.0 drivers were covered in depth on episode 59 of This Week in Linux. The Linux kernel 5.0 was covered in depth on episode 50 of This Week in Linux. So if you'd like to learn more about those three things, you can check out those episodes, and I'll have a link to those in the show notes below. But first off, let's keep going with the rest of what's coming with the Ubuntu 19.04, and that is a new update to the Yaru icon set, which you could see in the 18.10 release, but a much better, much cleaner, uh, better approach in the latest version because they've cleaned up a lot of icons. Uh, there's also a new I desktop icons extension. For some reason, GNOME decided that people don't need desktop icons or want desktop icons, so they removed the ability for Nautilus to have them. But of course, that's a ridiculous decision. 
and Canonical knows that. So Ubuntu actually has a solution for that and has improved and added the fun functionality back into it via a GNOME Shell extension. So that's good. Uh, there's also a new wallpaper featuring the Disco Dingo art, which I got to say is pretty nice. In fact, I, I would if it was on a t-shirt, I, I would definitely buy that because that's, that's a pretty solid uh, design. I like it. But anyway, if you'd like to learn more, I'll have a more in-depth uh, episode in the future talking about various different things, uh, much more in-depth of what's new and the various different flavors and etc. But for now, let's move on and talk about the new beta release for Ubuntu Mate because they have one that's really cool for the Raspberry Pi. Ubuntu Mate 18.04 Beta 1 for the Raspberry Pi is now available. And it's available for the models uh, B2, uh, 3, and 3+. Plus. It's optimized for the builds for these builds for the Raspberry Pi without sacrificing the full desktop environment that Ubuntu Mate provides on a full PC. And it includes in this particular release, it includes the Ubuntu kernel that is fully maintained by the Ubuntu kernel team and security teams. It also has support for automatic online file system expansion. Ethernet and Wi-Fi is available in it's available on the, the ISO, but might not be available on a particular model of Raspberry Pi. So it depends if you have it or not. Um, if the device has it, it will support it. If it doesn't, then it won't, of course. Uh, the same thing goes for Bluetooth. And it also has support for the audio out via the 3.5 millimeter audio jack or HDMI. And it has video out support via the HDMI or the composite jack, depending on which one you have. Support, it also supports the uh, GPIO access for the GPIO 0, uh, PIGPO, GPIO, and the wiring Pi. And it also supports for USB booting. So if you you can boot the the boot the Pi via USB with the Ubuntu Mate uh, ISO. So that's pretty cool. Uh, it also has support for hardware acceleration via the FB turbo driver and many more things like VLC and FFmpeg. So if you'd like to learn more or if you have a Raspberry Pi and you'd like to try out Ubuntu Mate 1804 beta on it, then uh, have it, check out the link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of the very popular lightweight distribution known as Puppy Linux. This is 8.0 released. And Puppy Linux, if you're not aware, is a very lightweight uh, distribution. It also runs in your RAM, so you don't actually have to install it. You can if you want to, but when it boots, it boots everything into RAM. So it's very, very fast, especially if you have a really powerful computer. It will also load on a small computer uh, because it's very lightweight. But if you have a really powerful computer, it can do rec crazy kinds of things because of the way it's built. It has... Um, it's very flexible. It's very customizable. It also has a unique file system. Called, it's called a layered file system where you have uh, basically a read-only structure of your system. And then every time you make a change, it sets another layer on top of that uh, base layer. And then you can have multiple layers on top of it. So all your changes are separate in a thing. So if you wanted to like take one of the layers out, you can easily do so without affecting any of the other layers. It's a really cool structure. And I should probably make a video like explaining how Puppy Linux works because it is very cool. Um, it's not for everybody because it is a very unique setup, but it is still pretty cool. And um, people might want to check that out. So I should, I should, I'll, I'll probably do that. So if you, or if, if you're interested in that kind of video, let me know in the comments below. And um, the more people who are interested, the more likely I'll make it. So there you go. Make a comment in the below if you are interested in checking out a full, in-depth approach to Puppy Linux. But to continue on for this episode. Uh, Puppy Linux 8.0 is based on Ubuntu uh, Bionic Beaver 18.04 LTS. It has packages for from Ubuntu 18.04, as well as some various uh, .pet packages or pet packages. They've actually introduced the set by default the Compton Compositor, 
which Puppy Linux has never had a compositor that I know of by default. So it's very cool that they added one now because it adds some nice polish to it. So it adds some subtle shadows to the windows and menus. And uh, they also did some modifications to the JWM window manager, as well as some GTK and GTK3 themes. So there's now it's all matching. So it's a lot more polished. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Claws Mail now has a tray icon to make it easier to use it. Uh, GUVC View is available, as well as Redshift GUI is now available for um, Puppy Linux. And they've also switched the color picker to GPIC, which is a very powerful tool for color picking. So that's interesting that they put that in there. Um, so overall, Puppy Linux is a really cool distribution. It is not for everyone because it is very unique and it's very, in the way it's structured. So in the sense that some people would say that it's not... If you learn Puppy Linux, you're not really learning Linux because of how different it is. But at the same time, there are some very some similarities, of course. But there's like there's very different structure, uh, and that's that's basically true. Um, but it's still pretty cool, and it's also very lightweight. So depending on what you want to put it on, it could probably work on it. Uh, and also the whole RAM uh, boot to RAM setup is pretty cool too. Anyway, if you'd like to learn more about Puppy Linux, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next on the show is some interesting news from the Gentoo project. So Gentoo has announced that they have uh, included GNOME 3.30 in their distro, but without systemd. Now the reason that's interesting is because GNOME has been dependent on systemd for quite a few releases. So this version that is 3.30 is not the latest release of GNOME, that's 3.32, but 3.30 is very new in a sense in comparison to like what they used to have. And this one has uh, systemd, removed as a dependency and still works as GNOME 3.30. So that's pretty cool. Um, I mean, I, I don't really care about whether it has systemd or not. I'm, I'm, I'm actually um, perfectly fine with systemd, for, but for those who are trying to keep a systemd-free system, the Gentoo developers have uh, give you the opportunity to do that. Uh, so the developers um, have managed to use a, their like OpenRC, but it, in theory could work with any in its system, if you wanted to, but so far the the you know the, the popular Gentoo um, in its system is OpenRC, and that's what it uses in this. And it's pretty cool and interesting because they have a eLoginD project as a LoginD implementation independent of SystemD, which required updates for getting the desktop to working with uh, GNOME 3.30. So it's pretty interesting they were doing this because um, for people who want to have a system without SystemD. Um, they would usually not use GNOME. They would use uh, some other desktop environment or they would just do without... Basically, they would have to do without GNOME because I don't think there's any other distro that has GNOME without SystemD because they, they've had this dependency of SystemD for a very long time. I could be wrong about that. If I am, let me know in the comments below. But I think it what it is the only one that has GNOME shell as an option without SystemD. Let me know if I'm wrong. I still think this is pretty cool that uh, they were doing this because it's an interesting approach. And for some reason, if you want to use GNOME without SystemD, this is an option for you. Like I actually don't have a problem with SystemD, but if you do, then here you go. You can use GNOME. Now, this might be uh, useful for other for derivatives of Gentoo as well because uh, Sabion, for example, might introduce it. Um, I'm not sure how closely related they are. I know it's a fork of Gentoo, but I'm not sure how related they are now. Uh, but if, if possible, it might it might be an option for those users as well. So that's pretty interesting. And if you'd like to learn more about this, this uh, release from Gentoo, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Flatpak 1.2.4 released. Now this release is actually a bug fix uh, security patch. 
And it's just to let you know that you need to update your Flatpak runtime as soon as possible because it is very important. Uh, this, this particular release fixes the CVE 2019-10063 bug. And now this bug actually uh, patches a previous uh, patch. So previously, the 2017-5226 uh, security vulnerability was patched and this was a vulnerability where a non-privileged session could escape the parent session in a bubble wrap sandbox by using the T-I-O-C-S-T-I-I-O-C-T-L. That's fun to say. Uh, anyway, what this is used for faking input in the input queue to escape the sandbox. But uh, two years later, it turns out their addressing of the former CBE by using SEC comp filter was inadequate for 64-bit platforms. So the sandbox could still be bypassed and escaped as the filter wasn't properly handled on 64-bit architectures. So this particular release actually fixes that bug. So it now does have support to buy, to fix the bypassing and escaping on 64-bit machines. Uh, so you should definitely upgrade your system. Um, this this might seem like a negative thing, but it actually is important to uh, you know let people know about these types of things because. It is important to have up-to-dated software, to have all the security patches and things, because there's always going to be bugs and there's always going to be some security problems. Because you know, people, this code is made, built by humans, and you know, people make mistakes. So we gotta, uh, you know, anytime there's a new thing, we always got to address it. So it's really good that they have a, a fix this problem. And if you are using flat packs, you need to update your runtime um, as soon as possible. Uh, this also ha adds some other features as well. It adds support for multiple NVIDIA cards on the same machine, which is very cool. Uh, they've also fixed support for systems that were using uh, XTG runtime directory or dir uh, in the as a sim link that is now fixed. So if you were using that and it wasn't really working correct right, they have now fixed that. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Flatpak, I'll have a link to the flatpak.org website as well as the release notes for this particular release in the show notes below. In addition to some improvements for Flatpaks, we also have some improvements for Snaps. Uh, specifically, Snap startup time has been improved. So Snaps have been both praised and critiqued over the years for a variety of different reasons. Uh, but from one of the biggest critiques has probably been um, the the initial startup time. And it's pretty fair to say because it's kind of weird how when you first start up a Snap, it takes a little bit longer than if you were to start up the, the, the same Snap later and like after like once you've started the first time every time afterwards is a much faster startup time which is weird but uh, thankfully this issue will be will soon be improved by doing some application testing and monitoring load times they were able to see significant difference between snaps and non-snap software startup this testing allowed them to determine the issue at startup being font cache generation so starting with snap 2.36.2 binaries are going to be included in the core snap, which eliminates the excessive startup times. The results are actually pretty cool because they will improve the snap startup speed for the initial startup by six times performance. This fix will work with Ubuntu and non-Ubuntu-based distributions as long as they update to the latest version of snap. So that is very cool because every time I've talked about snaps, people would say, well, here's a couple critiques of why I don't like snaps. And the theming and the loads, the startup time being slow in the first initial load uh, are the two biggest critiques that I've, I've seen during those conversations. And both of which are valid critiques. And I'm happy to see that one is being currently developed. The theme they're working on trying to fix that. And 
apparently with the startup time, they have fixed that. So I'm happy to see that has been improved. So if you'd like to learn more about this improvement, I'll have a link to the blog post on Ubuntu's blog in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is also sponsored by the Tux Digital community, or specifically the Tux Digital patrons. And if you'd like to become a patron, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you can go there to learn more. But the Patreon is a way where you can go help financially to contribute to the show and the channel in general. If you were to do so, even just a dollar a month, it'd be very much appreciated. It'd be actually amazing that you would be willing to do so, and it would help out the channel a ton. So if you would be willing to do so, please go to touchdigital.com slash Patreon to learn more. But before I move on, I want to let you know that it's not only just benefiting the channel, there's also rewards and benefits to the patrons. So if you were to become a patron, you can get access to patron-only content, early access to YouTube videos, so the videos that I'm going to put up publicly, you get access early to as a patron. Uh, also, patron-only polls where I ask questions about the future of the show or the f- or certain content that I'm considering to make on the channel. So you could, like vote on which one you think should go sooner and that kind of thing. Uh, there's also going to be access uh, patron-only Discord channel uh, as well as some behind-the-scenes updates and that kind of thing. And there's also going to be, uh, there actually already is, but there is also access to discount code for Tux Digital Swag. So if you wanted to buy a t-shirt or a mug or stickers or something like that, you can become a patron. And there's also a discount that's provided to all patrons. Uh, depending on what tier you are, this is different, it depends on what d- uh, discount you get. So I mean, I, it basically is if you're going to help me financially monthly, then I might as well give you a benefit of that amount to this, uh, this different swag that you could get for the channel. So, um, yeah. And also, um, you can be not worry about ad blockers. So if you use an ad blocker that uh, blocks ads from showing on the video, uh, you don't have to worry about that because you're taking care of that completely by you being a, becoming a patron. So if you would like to help out with the show and become a patron, I'd be very grateful. And, um, yeah, it'd be awesome. So again, tuxedo.com slash Patreon to learn more. I am working on getting some alternatives to Patreon for those who don't like Patreon. I know some people don't like them because of their policies, um, but there are uh, not very many options. I mean, there's quite a few options, but they all have these big drawbacks like Libra Pay doesn't have the ability to share reward content to anyone. I can't give you behind the scenes information. I can't give you po- uh, patron only posts. And so that makes it not worth using uh, the same thing with DonorBox and the majority of them. Uh, uh, coffee is a good option, but it also has some issues where it backfires in the sense that it's not very good as far as organization of the content. Well, it does let you post patron-only content, but it's not really organized. And also makes it weird for the, you can do a one-off donation and a monthly donation, but you it's it's not that clear of which one you're doing at the time. So it's it's really awkward in that sense. So I'm still looking for a solution to replace Patreon, or not really replace it, but give an alternative. Um, but right now, eh, there's not really one that's great. So when I find one, I'll let you know. If you'd like to become a patron, tuxedo.com slash Patreon. Up next in the show is the latest release of Epiphany 3.32. I mean, it actually was released with the GNOME release, but I wanted to cover it because there's quite a few things that have been improved in this latest version. And they they recently t- uh, wrote a blog post about what's coming, uh, with what's with this new release. So... Uh, with this new release, they have cleaned, uh, have a better clean design with the address bar, uh, improved search, and better user experience with the overall layout. 
They've also redesigned the tab menu that is most noticeable for those who keep a huge number of tabs open. So it will help better with better navigation using a popover menu. So you have the tabs, but you also have an extra set. So if you have a ton of tabs, it moves over into this like this popover menu. So like an extra, the, depending on how many you have, of course. Uh, they also added gesture support, and they have improved the reader mode as well as a lot of other things. So if you've never used Epiphany, I think Epiphany is probably not a replacement browser because um, Firefox is a fantastic browser and basically does everything very well. But there are some features that Epiphany has that is really cool. Like, for example, they have this uh, separate web app structure that you can separate uh, your different sessions in Epiphany. So you can actually create uh, web apps on your system, specifically, um, you know, specific web apps as applications on your system through Epiphany. But the reason why it's cool is because Epiphany also has separation for sessions. So individual sessions of these web apps make it so that you can make multiple web apps of the same at, uh, same website without having to um, log in and out of each one of them. Uh, this, that's one of the reasons why Chrome's web app system is terrible because you, you only have one session that you're sharing between all these web apps. And it's like, what's the point of making a web app then? If I could only have, like, if I'm just removing the window items, that's pretty much all I'm doing. What's the point? But Epiphany actually does have an individual session control. So that's a really cool feature. So if you'd like to learn more about Epiphany and this latest release, I have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is a really cool utility for email notifications called MailNag. This latest release of 1.3 has some support for inbox and mailder backends. I'll talk about that in a second about why that's important. But uh, first of all, uh, MailNag, for those who are not aware, is an email notification daemon for POP3 and IMAP servers. Uh, it also has... Um, with this release, they've introduced some new features for the user interface with a nice, cleaner header bar look and you know just a better design. But really what MailNag is, is that it allows you to have, um, without using an email client, you can get notifications for any email you want. So it's really cool because let's say you have, for example, um, a particular email box that you have just for notifications for, for whatever reason. You could set it up so that it uses MailNag to let you know there's something come, that something happened rather than having to go to your email client every time to check it out. So this would give you notifications uh, of when you got a new email an email for, the, uh, for that particular account. Uh, you can also set up multiple accounts and have a really uh, a single notification structure built into your DE that lets you know about any email without having to sign up the whole thing with your email client. But what's really cool about this latest release is that you can use inbox and mailder backends, which means that you could actually use all the email clients and accounts that you have. Well, all the accounts that you have set up for Thunderbird, for example, you can just use MailNag attached to Thunderbird and that way integrate it with your DE, depending on which one you have. Now I have used mailder with both GNOME and uh, KDE Plasma, and it works pretty good with both of those. Um, I'm not really sure if it works with everything, but and it doesn't, and every feature doesn't work in the Plasma version uh, because they don't really support Plasma specifically. But it does, the, the functionality of the notifications does totally work with Plasma and it works quite well. So if you are interested in something like that, um, I'll have a link to the MailNag latest release in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release of a new utility that I've, I recently found. Uh, it's a command line utility that allows you to make nice interactive selections inside of your scripts. It's called SMenu. And this latest version is 0.9.15. And now the S menu is a terminal utility that acts as a filter by reading words 
from standard input or from a file and creates an interaction interactive selection window below the cursor. Now this could be a variety of different styles of, of interaction. It could be like a table structure, it could be a drop down menu, it could be all kinds of stuff. And it's a really cool uh, approach because I mean this is actually really interesting because it allows you to create a script and then use S menu to create uh, really powerful menus inside of your script. So let's say you wanted to have a, a script that has multiple cases and multiple things inside of it where you can like if this then do this you know if this value for this parameter is this then you can do that and you would have to type it in individually each time but in this case you could just type in the script use s menu to activate the selection so you just type in the name of the script then you just arrow down and arrow to the right and left of and just choose the options you want really quickly without having to type a lot for depending on what you wanted to do it's a really cool approach and it also makes you know some terminal scripts potentially a lot cleaner and a lot more efficient and a lot easier to use so this has a lot of potential to be really really cool so i found this by the developer posted on reddit and um, i think it was really just so cool i had i wanted to cover it in the show so uh, thanks to you for making s menu and if you are interested in trying it out in your scripts i'll have a link to their github page in the show notes below up next in the show the EU passed the awful copyright directive. The European Parliament has passed their controversial and disastrous copyright reform law due to ineptitude, is what I would like to say. So, Articles 11 and 13 are the most damaging parts of this ridiculous law, this internet breakage law. So, at, we're, you know, in Article 11 and 13 or arbitrarily changed to Article 15 and 17 for no reason, obviously. Like, why? Like, within just a couple weeks, they changed it, the numbers, because whatever. Anyway, Article 11 makes it so that search engines and news aggregators must pay to use snippets of their content. So it's like a link tax. So if you're going to link to someone and you give a little bit of context for what that link is, well, then you have to pay to have a license for that content or get an agreement with the people who own it before you can do it. Otherwise, you're breaking this law. That's insane. The other one that's also insane is that hosting companies become responsible for any copyrighted material posted on their services without a license. So the people who actually provide the services, provide the platforms, are now responsible because of this idiotic ridiculous parliament decision of you know somehow that's even that's not even possible like it's not it's not physically possible for them to you know even remotely attempt to actually manually filter through all of this content so they're going to have to build some kind of algorithmic approach so they're going to do machine learning and stuff and we know that doesn't work out because youtube has been doing that for a while with the content id and it doesn't work a lot of the time It'll have false flags all the time. But, you know, of course, you know, actually the kind of the weird thing is that it's it kind of they're trying to talk about taking power away from the corporations by doing this and putting power back in the copyright holders and stuff. But in reality, it actually gives power to the corporations because they are they're the ones who can build these algorithms and charge as a service for other people who are now forced to use this garbage to now have to have a content filter. So they're, they're not able to build a content filter because of how incredibly complicated and how incredibly expensive that would be. 
they're now having to, in theory, either shut down their services, uh, use these services from these corporations that are now controlling the internet because of this stupid law, or just block all European traffic, which in many cases, a lot of sites and a lot of organizations are going to just block European traffic because that's the easiest solution. And that's sad because they didn't understand what they were doing. So yeah, this is going to create either mass censorship or mass blackouts or just a ton of just dumb, dumb results from dumb, dumb decisions. If that wasn't wor uh, bad enough, let's make it worse. Because you know when I said the ineptitude, it wasn't about them not understanding the topic. That's true. They didn't understand the topic. Uh, that's proven by the fact that they voted to do this. They didn't understand the topic. It's worse because 13 of the people who voted, of the MEPs who voted, voted incorrectly. They messed up, accidentally did the wrong thing, that they what they wanted. There were two votes. One was a vote on the individual overall approach of the, like the not individual, the overall approach of the con uh, copyright directive. But not all of it was terrible. Most of it was fine, not great, but yeah. Um, but articles 11 and 13, which then became articles 15 and 17, were trash. They were absolutely absurd and dumb. However, there was a proposal, a separate vote, for a proposal to remove those articles from the directive as an amendment. And there was th this particular vote lost by five votes, just five. Then we find out the next day, less than 24 hours, that 10 people voted against the removal of, the, of these articles accidentally. They wanted to remove it, but they oopsied and voted to keep them in. So yeah, we could have actually had a directive that wasn't super trash, but no, no. The ineptitude, I'm not sure. Would it be better for these MEPs to specifically ignore what the people wanted because they just terrible people? Or they're just so so dumb they don't know how to vote in a particular in like a very important piece of legislation. I don't I don't I can't find anybody who actually supports this stuff. So I'm shocked that it got through. I'm even more shocked that of the ineptitude of these people who are like Oh, I messed up because you changed the order of my vote. Maybe you should pay attention more and read what you're voting on. One of them even said that they didn't even mean to vote on it, and they did. How do you accidentally vote when you didn't mean to? I, there's no silver lining to this. It's just stupid. I don't know. I mean... It's not actually, it's not been full. it's not implemented yet. There's like two years before it gets implemented. So maybe there's a chance that these, the actual countries will say, hey, that's stupid, let's not do it, and collectively tell the EU to go away or to screw off on this particular topic and to actually just not implement these two articles of stupidity. M maybe? I mean, I mean, the percentage of the likelihood of that is not very high, but hopefully... They do, because that's the only only thing left that's possible to make this not happen. Because so far, the MEPs 
somehow are not able to read, I guess. Let's move on to some more lighter and uh, good topics because we need we need something after this one. Yeah, let's move on. So from some terrible news to some potentially good news, depending on what you're looking for, uh, Humble Bundle has some new book bundles. And first of all, if you're interested in programming, there's some interesting uh, options in the coders, the coders Bookshelf Bundle. There's some Python uh, a Python programming book called Python Playground. There's also Think Like a Programmer, Wicked Cool Shell Scripts, Linux Programming Interface, which is available for learning the Linux and Unix system programming. There's also a programming language book for Rust, as well as many more. So if you want to check it out, I have a link to that in the show notes. And there's also a couple more bundles that I wanted to cover because they're just they're just pretty interesting. First of all, if you're wanting to learn a new language, there's a new language bundle where you can actually have there's a variety of different things in this bundle. Uh, but three specific things I want to talk about is that they have various phrase books as well as country guides in case you're traveling somewhere. But they also have some language learning subscriptions for a particular language service. And this is a full year for free if you pay the $25 at the highest bundle, you get all these languages. So the highest level tier is $25, and you get access for a year to Spanish, French, German, Italian, uh, Chinese, which I think is the Mandarin version, uh, Japanese and Korean, as well as some others. Um, But if you'd like to check it out, I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. And also the third one is Debug Your Life, which is some self-help books. So these are actually pretty interesting if you'd like to find out more I'll have a link to all three of these bit bundles in the show notes as well as the description for the YouTube video uh, in the below. So if you'd like to learn more, I'll have a link to these below. Up next in the show is great for any of the Linux gaming fans and racing game fans, and that is Dirt 4 has been released for Linux. Uh, Pharrell Interactive has been busy getting us some AAA titles for Linux for a while, and they've recently announced their latest project, which is Dirt 4. Dirt 4 is a very popular motorsport game developed by Codemasters. They describe the game like this. Dirt 4 is all about embracing fear. It's about the thrill, exhilaration, and adrenaline that is absolutely vital to off-road racing. It's about loving the feeling of pushing flat out next to a sheer cliff drop, going for the gap that's too small, and seeing how much air you can get on that big jump. Be fearless. Uh, Dirt is a pretty cool game. I've actually tried Dirt Rally before, and it's really cool. I haven't tried the latest uh, Dirt 3 or this version yet, but it is a pretty cool game, and I'm really happy to see uh, Veril's work in bringing these great games to Linux. It's really, really great to see. So thank you very much, Veril, for porting this game, um, because I'm looking forward to trying it out. Uh, If you would like to get your engine started on Dirt 4, I'll have a link to it in the show notes, because it is available right now. Finally this week, Valve has released a big Steam Play update. We have a brand new release of Proton and Steam Play, of course. Now, Proton is now based on Wine 4.2. So the DXVK also saw a version bump. It's now using the 1.0.1 and F-Audio's newer build of 19.03. This means more support for games and improvements in current games like better mouse behavior and networking fixes. So that you, we also need to make a note that you will want to install it manually from Steam's tools as they uh, as they, the automated process isn't currently working. Uh, to do this, click on the library and then tools to switch to the latest version of Proton. 
So this is really cool because it shows a lot of the collaboration with the Wine team because the latest version of Wine has implemented some of the stuff that's from Proton, and now Proton is upgrading their uh, core base of which version of Wine they were. They were using 3.16, now they're using 4.2, which is awesome. And Valve also announced, well, they kind of teased, but basically announced, the new VR headset. And that headset is called the Valve Index. There isn't a lot known about this device, but it's kind of surprising that they released this information because they already have an officially supported headset that they've partnershiped with uh, HTC to create the HTC Vive. And so it's kind of interesting that they would have like a, a competitor, like an in-house competitor. Maybe it's not a competitor though. Maybe it's like an entry-level, like budget-friendly, cost-effective version because the HTC Vive is a lot more powerful or it was a pretty powerful headset and it costs like $500. You take that plus the cost of the actual machine that you need to run the Vive, you know, to have the games running plus the headset. It's kind of expensive to try VR headsets or to try VR gaming. Maybe if they were provide a, you know, a, low, a more budget-friendly entry-level headset, get more people interested in trying it out, then they could gradually move up to something like the Vive and get more higher quality stuff and get more people interested in VR or, you know, I don't know. But that'd be really cool if that's what they're doing. We don't really know what they're doing because we don't know what the specs are or any of that stuff because uh, they just now kind of teased that it's coming out. But they did say that you'll be able to upgrade your experience in May 2019. So, you know, we'll, we'll find out pretty soon. And uh, hopefully we'll get some more information pretty more sooner than that. But either way, I will keep you up to date on or up to date in the show on future you know information we get for the uh, Valve Index. But another thing that we got information on is the new controller from Valve called the Valve Knuckle. Now, this has been there's been some talks about this for a little bit. Uh, there's been videos that are being created about it, but we're actually now seeing this uh, make sense that they're creating this controller because they'd have uh, this would be integrated with the Valve Index would be some pretty interesting you know approaches to VR. Now, this is a really cool idea because they've added some pressure pressure sensors to the controller so that you can actually like uh, control how you do things in the in the in a various games or whatever through squeezing the controller and how how much you squeeze it affects how much power you give whatever like how much pressure you give so it has some interesting aspects um, if you would like to learn more I'll have some links to uh, the the various different pieces of like what we talked about for valve like the valve index the knuckle and the the big uh, steam play update in the show notes below uh, there's actually been some developer kits that have been already been uh, sent out to for the controller to uh, people who might have done some videos on that i'll try to find some links for that in the show notes uh, but there are quite a few and uh, anyway if you'd like to learn more about any of these three i'll have a link to those in the show notes thanks for watching this episode of this week in linux if you like what I do here on the show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Touch Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, and many others. You can learn more by going to touchdigital.com slash contribute. And uh, typically, this is where in the outro where I mentioned the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, which is still technically possible to get if you're in Europe by going to touchdigital.com slash Linux Everywhere EU for shipping inside of Europe. But if you're in the U.S. or North America in general, um, unfortunately, it's not available right now because Teespring decided to disable the shirt due to copyright infringement, which is weird considering I designed the shirt. So who am I violating the copyright? Myself? I don't know. 
So I don't know that they sent a message saying, Hey, we disabled it because of copyright. And like, I replied with, why would you do that? I made it. And uh, they haven't responded yet. So just letting you know why I'm not pushing it really. And uh, why the Patreon was the secondary ad in the show instead of the shirt like I normally do. But there you go. Anyway, let's move on to brighter information. Like, so if you'd like to contribute to the show, you can do so without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, and many more by going to tuxedo.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like to submit some good news to the show, then visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, the show is live usually every Saturday. This time it wasn't live at all because I was sick, and I'm still going to do it anyway. But, yeah, I was sick. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Well, most weeks, I guess. Most weeks. Anyway, thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.